Hello and welcome to Hardcasters and uh, we've got a treat for you tonight. Uh, myself, Dominic Deplum, and my uh, partner, uh, Dick Visage. Hello, Dick. Hello. Uh, Everybody. I've got a, a, a belter for you tonight. I, I'd say that um, technically, if you want to be really uh, picky about it, um, it's probably not an action movie. It's more of a spy thriller with a, a really big action scene at the end. But screw it. Um, it's great, and we love it. So In your face, yeah. you genre bastards, because that's what we're doing. Yes. If you've got a problem, take it up with the SAS, because that's who we're talking about uh, today. Yeah. In SAS drama, uh, Who Dares Wins, a.k.a. The Final Option, um, for those people that are possibly looking at it in another, in another country. Um, and we're going to get straight into this because, well, there's a lot to talk about because I, I feel like to properly talk about Who Dares Wins, we need to talk about two things. We need to talk about um, Lewis Collins, the arguably the star of, of this, although he's, it's actually more of an ensemble piece in many respects. But also I think we need to talk about the SAS and why a film or several films and TV shows were made about them, especially in the early 80s. Uh, and mm. I think a lot of people our age from the UK will, will know, but maybe other people younger or people that don't live in the UK might not have an idea of why it was significant at this point. So this is a, like I say, it's an SAS kind of spy drama action thriller kind of thing um, starring Lewis Collins. Now, if you don't know who Lewis Collins is. I'm then fuck be, off. Yeah. Out. <laughs> um, <laughs> But at the same time, you know, I don't blame you. Um, he's, he's possibly not the household name internationally that um, I'd like him to be. He should be, really. Should I be. think on a different path, he should be. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to spend, or we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about Lewis Collins and explaining to you all why he's awesome. And why it's a shame. It's going to be five hours long. We're going to do yeah, this yeah, five yeah, this hours. Is, yeah, strap <laughs> yourselves in. <laughs> and we're not going to break it into parts. This is going to be one long conversation about Lewis Collins' career. I'm just going to read out the whole of his IMDb entry. Um, so basically, he's probably most famous for a British TV show, uh, sort of late 70s, early 80s, called The Professionals. Um, hmm. And this series uh, is a personal favourite of mine. So it's essentially him and another actor called Martin Shaw play Bodie and Doyle, who are two kind of gung-ho, macho cops. Uh, well, they're not cops. They're, they're members of CI5, yeah. which I think is not quite CID. It's better than CID, but not quite as big as MI5. So kind of it's, it's all set in and around London and the UK, but mm -hmm. uh, they don't tend to deal with... Well, they sometimes deal with petty crime, but sometimes it's kind of spy stuff and international stuff. So there's, there's lots going on. But essentially, it's just a thinly veiled plot device or name to get two guys to screech around London in a Ford Capri, leaping over bonnets with guns uh, and all sorts. Now, what I like about it is I, I bought the box set of all four seasons about 10 years ago, maybe eight years ago. 
because I'd never really, as a kid, I, I was aware of them and it was that kind of cool action TV show um, that I didn't really get to see a lot of when I was younger, only on repeats. Um, and I rewatched it all and loved it. And part of the reason I loved it is it feels very much like both the kind of 70s, either cop movies or paranoia, paranoia thrillers from America. Um, you know, your Dirty Harrys and your Bullets and your, well, that's, I know it's late 60s, but, um, uh, but also your Parallax and stuff like that. That kind of gritty, handheld, vicious, brutal, unflinching stuff with car chases, but also the, the Italian and European kind of thrillers, um, the Polizietchis, which I believe I've just butchered. I've only ever seen that word written down or, or the kind of Euro crime kind of thrillers as well. And it felt yeah. like one of them a week. Now, it's not to say that it's wall-to-wall action, that each episode's 45 minutes, minus the adverts that were on TV. Um, but generally speaking, there was, a, there was a fight or a shootout or a car chase. And in some of the episodes, they lent more on drama. And some yeah. of the other episodes, there were... It, I mean, there's one um, that's just a full-on... They've got to get this guy from one place to another, escort him, and it's just car chase leads to foot chase, leads to shootout, leads to another car chase and ends in a siege in a house. You know, it's good kind of um, old-fashioned old action fun. Now, the other thing about The Professionals as well, and I'm going to ask every single one of you out there, if, you don't, if you've never seen the, um, the opening credits or heard the theme tune, to pause this now and go on YouTube. It's probably my... No, I'm not going to say my favourite. The best title sequence to a TV show ever um, and yeah. the best theme tune to a TV show ever. So pause this, watch it now. Right, now you're back. I'm right, aren't I? Um, you are. I think it's Professionals, Magnum PI for theme tune and for opening title sequence. Yeah. There's no, there's nothing near anywhere near them both. I think. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, now, what, uh, Lewis Collins. I mean, I like Martin Shaw, but Lewis Collins really stood out. I think he's got a good physical presence. He's got a kind of. He's not necessarily all ripped and muscular, but he's a he's got a big guy, and he's imposing. But he can be funny and charming and wry and all that kind of stuff as well. Um, mm. So he, he had a lot of leading man qualities. He's got a pair of massive flaring nostrils on him as well, which I think is important. You don't see enough of that in, in leading men. Um, now, probably why I didn't get I think. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. they down for Bond because of his, his wider nostrils. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they temporarily thought it might be useful for the opening bit with the gun barrel. They could use his nostrils instead, but in, in the end, they decided. But again, you say Bond, he did. He was courted by the Broccoli's about yeah. Bond. Um, but and you can see why because of this film because he, he wears the he's got the kind of he's blazered up at one point. Yeah. He's got the old kind of navy blazer. He's very. You can see why he was kind of a close shade for Bond. I think this film. Yeah as well as his kind of action beats, plays to the spy stuff, like you say, and it's very kind of, it, it's almost pushing him as a Bond. It's almost kind of giving him that little yeah, stage. absolutely. On, now, um, the reason he didn't become Bond, and, and the room persists that he, he the, bro the Broccoli's thought he was too aggressive, um, and then I've seen an interview with him for another movie where he's talked about going for Bond, and he sort of said he feels Bond needs updating for the 80s, and that he needs to do different. So I think he had a very different idea about what Bond should be, probably more in line with how Bond is now. So he, he made The Professionals. He made this movie. Um, and he had lots of other acting roles as well, a lot of British TV stuff. Um, but with the exception of these things, and despite having, you know, good screen presence and good at action, he didn't really 
get a lot of action vehicles. Um, and here's the other thing as well. I mean, there, there, there's some things around him that are, you know, over the years, I've kind of been slightly fascinated, fascinated by the guy. Bear in mind, Lewis Collins is now with us. He, he, he died a few years back, which is a shame. Um, and he, um, so there's all these run of rumours and myth about him. So the, the purveying myth is that he was actually the real deal, that he had, he was in the Territorial Army, which for some people is a bit of a, a personal joke, but I mean, he, he was in the Territorial Army. He had some military skills, apparently he could parachute, and I think he was a martial artist to some degree as well, or he, he'd studied karate or something like that. Um, and the kind of other rumour was that he basically passed the entry requirements to the SAS, but not the selection process or something like that. So, and I don't know whether, I, 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 as a kid, I had heard that was part of this movie. He, was, he trained with the SAS for Who Dares Wins, and they thought he could be good. For a while, that was the truth, and it seemed like that was kind of like a made-up story, and then there's some truth. I think... Generally, the truth is somewhere in between. But he's, he's a capable guy. The other thing that I found out recently while, while kind of going around YouTube and looking up a bit about him was that, um, so he, he originally, he was a hairdresser in the 50s and 60s in Liverpool, and he was also a drummer. And when the Beatles let go of Pete Best, he had a friend who knew the Beatles who recommended he go for an audition, but he was making so much money as a hairdresser, he's like, why would I go and audition for a band? So he turned it down. Who knows? Had he accepted that, at this time, he would have, also been the voice of Thomas the Tank Engine. Careers Imagine how different that would have been. Alternate universes. There's somewhere in alternate universes, Thomas the Tank Engine was um, voiced by um, uh, Lewis Collins. And he played drums in some fucking band. Um, so I, so, I did a bit of research about this as well. About yes, this, go for it. about the Beatles, but about it, kind of the film itself. Yeah. That kind of, again, it's kind of, it, 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 it's kind of in that realm of, it was, you know, is it is it real? Is it real or is it fake or is it kind of lost in translation? But mm. the first fact is that apparently um, Ronald Reagan quite liked Who Dares Wins. It was a big, yeah. it was a kind of a fan of a, a kind of big um, favorite with him that they screened this, at, and we'll talk about possibly the reasons why they screened it. Mm. But they screened this at David in the states when Reagan was president. And apparently, he really liked it. Um, as a film, and also on the back of this, again, we talked about Lewis Collins being pushed as a, an action star, mm. that um, he was apparently touted to be in the kind of the, the company that did this, did Wild Geese, and he was touted to be in Wild Geese 2, but mm. it just didn't happen. Yeah, um, well, this is funny, because basically the only other real action movies that Lewis Collins made, he made three action films sort of shot in they're either european or italian made or shot or like abroad in the philippines and what have you i don't think got major releases over here and generally if you're looking for them they tend to like dvd releases tend to be like german or whatever and he made a film mm -hmm. called codename wild geese with ernest uh -huh. borgnine and Klaus kinski he made a film called the commander or der commander the german thing which i think also has Klaus kinski in it and then Commando Leopard. Um, so I think it's I think it's Codename Wild Geese, Commando Leopard, then the, the, the Commander. And these did Lewis Collins have an have an action film generator? <laughs> I think he might have done. Yeah, Commando Leopard does seem like some words put together. Now these films I've seen. I've not seen the Commander. I've seen Codename Wild Geese, and I've seen um, Commando Leopard. I own Commando Leopard. 
And the, the reason I bought these is because I wanted more Lewis Collins, basically. I bought them not long after watching The Professionals. And they're very much like this Who Dares Wins film in the sense that they're very old-fashioned army movies. Now, growing up in the 80s, alongside sort of Transformers and Thundercats and He-Man and all that kind of stuff, I, I, I don't know about you, but I had the kind of hangover from the previous generation's toys. So things like Action Man and the original Action Force, not the G.I. Joe the UK version of G.I. Joe, but the original ones that didn't have joints that were kind of smaller yeah. action men. And these, and also like things like Battle, the comic Battle that then became Battle Action Force, that were all mm -hmm. very much about kind of this, this romanticizing uh, of warfare. But at the time, yeah. really, especially in, in kind of comics and, and literature and film and TV, kind of realism wasn't really uh, the, the kind of order of the day. So it was very much men in green fatigue with a red beret firing machine gun from the hip into a forest and people falling over and explosions going off very kind of you know comic panels of people throwing a grenade and screams being spelled ai and then lots of ease as someone leaps from an explosion that kind of thing and the three kind of movies that the lewis collins made after this when I watch them, it feels like I'm watching Action Man the movie. I mean, he literally looks like the original Action Man. It, it, I think in Commando Leopard, he's even got a scar on his cheek. And it's very much what I imagined army and soldiering would be when I was running around the woods with my mates pretending to shoot each other. Um, yeah. I think now it, it seems very kind of old hat. Um, and again, I'm not going to recommend these as amazing action films. You've got to be a bit of a completist to really enjoy them. But on the flip side, you know, there might be a nostalgic element for the kind of before hot sort of films and TV got obsessed with like military realism and had lots of kind of people consulting. Um, so that a lot of war films now look very similar because everyone's doing the, the, the particular moves and handling guns a particular way. This was very much a case of like people just, well, we guess this is what military is like. So let's just run around and do forward yeah. rolls and blow things up. Um, you, on your action man point that actually in who dares wins, he has like, he has about four outfits. He has, hmm. um, he starts off in the SES, so you've got that action pack. Then he's got uh, Roger Moore blazer um, with kind of, you know, roll neck jumper. Then he's got um, Evening Action Man, which is kind of like a, a, you know, kind of really kind of woolly dressing gown. And then yeah. he's got his, uh, his last one, which is uh, kind of, it lo he looks like he he's got um, an American military uniform because he's he's undercover, but then he becomes almost like an action waiter. And he's got those big black trousers with the bell bottoms, yeah, a pair of black braces, and an Uzi attachment. So you, if you had a, you know a Lewis Collins action figure collection, you could have all four of these and just interchange the outfits. Absolutely, yeah. Um, last thing I'll say about Lewis Collins before we get into the film is um, he's also got some great promotional photographs. It's like publicity ones. If you go on Google Images and search Lewis Collins' uh, promotional pictures or publicity pictures, not just from his various TV shows, but he's got this series of black and this photo shoot he did. Most people, when they have an actor's photo shoot, it's kind of headshots, or it's like, here's me smoking a pipe or stroking a cow. He's got ones where he's like leaping over um, a barrier. Like he's, he's literally in midair, like horizontal, in a full suit, but like flying through the air kind of stuff. They're amazing. So uh, Lewis Collins is, is, is I, I really love him, you know, um, a, as a screen presence. Mm. And the other thing I think it's worth talking about, again, before we get into the film, is the SAS in the 80s. So essentially, uh, 
1980, um, there, was, there was a string of kind of terrorist activity. We know that the 70s, especially across Europe and around Ireland, all that kind of stuff with, with those kind of things, there was a lot of terrorist activity. Um, and in the uh, sort of early 80s, there was a, a group of terrorists took over the Iranian embassy in London and held some hostages mm. there, I think, for, for a certain amount of time, six days or something. Um, and it ended with the SAS being called in in what was a 17-minute assault on this building. Now, this building is in the middle of London mm. or like in the middle of a busy area, and it was televised. So although I was too young to kind of see it there, there was a lot of footage going around news outlets and stuff like that of essentially live TV of a military assault. Now, the SAS at that point, we, no one really knew much about them because people weren't that interested beyond World War II stuff and military stuff yeah. to a degree. And as a kid, and this is my abiding memory, seeing this footage was like, almost like seeing live footage of Batman appearing in real life. Because basically you had this scenario and then you had these guys in these cool black costumes, basically, these mythical kind of mysterious military people just turn up kick ass and then vanish on helicopters and then something's like that's the sas and as a kid when you don't really know much about you know um the morality of warfare and the gray areas and how difficult it is and you know never heard of the fact that afterwards you know a couple of the sas officers were tried for unlawfully killing the terrorists but were cleared you don't really get a sense of the kind of you know the complexities of warfare morale morale uh, and the morality of it as a kid you're just like this is awesome these are you know these people look cool and they're blowing shit up and I got really obsessed with them. I remember buying a magazine that had like a picture of the SAS uniform and it had like arrows telling you what the gas mask was for. And I remember facts mm. in the magazine, whether these are true or not, like they use submachine guns because with an assault rifle, they're so powerful, you can actually fire through someone and they might not realize they've been shot. So submachine guns are more brutal and they stop people. There was like one terrorist found with something like I don't know, 700 bullets in him or something. And apparently a hostage got shot and he had a 50p piece in his top pocket and that saved his life all these little things like i just got and i only had this one issue of this magazine but i remember obsessing about it being like the ss is the coolest thing did it, did it, it come looked, with a, a build your own iranian embassy siege kit mm -hmm. so you could like build your own version of it like you know you could put the embassy together and kind of make your own siege yeah the the the, the little toy in the front was a pocket of stun gas when you opened it it just knocked you out um i, I love like 80s and ni early 90s magazines because i remember Slight tangent. I remember having a Gulf a Gulf War sticker book, which sounds <laughs> mental now. But it was like a, a, I think you could have a sticker of like Stormy Norman and all that, and uh, you had yeah. the British and American tank stuff. It's like it it was proper glorifying. Now yeah. you wouldn't go anywhere near. You, you no, know, you kind of absolutely. Um, and so obviously this film is essentially built to capitalise on that excitement. And the finale of this film, which is a siege in a house that's very white, is essentially a, an attempt to um, mm. uh, dramatise. It's not a, it's not a dramatisation of that event. It's entirely fictional, but it's essentially a way to get that on film and see yeah. kind of what would have gone on inside. So when you look at this film, which is obviously an 80s movie and a very early 80s movie, so politically, ideologically, it's not particularly progressive, although it's not as bad as you, one might think. But obviously, you know, you've got to bear in mind that when you go into this film, you're, I think, how much you enjoy is how much you remember about those days and that feeling where, where the army were cool people that kind of did all the stuff you actually saw in cartoons 
rather than the kind of complexities you have here. And, and you know, th there's lots to enjoy there if we're in the right frame of mind. Um, I think as well, it's worth yeah. remembering when you watch the, kind of when you watch the film as well. I mean, like you said, there really is a moment that's there and it's kind of a, a love letter to the SAS. Yeah. The kind of slight uncomfortable bits are, it's kind of, if you're a socialist or a lefty, you mm. might be a terrorist. It kind of plays a lot, a little bit with that. Mm. And like you said, the FAS are, are straight down the line, the heroes, which mm. is good because like you say, actually it's an ensemble piece and the end yeah. of it, well, you think Lewis Collins is just going to kind of turn around and, and stall and do everything himself. He doesn't. The SAS help him out and yeah. he's become part of a team. So it, you need to watch it with an element of, you know, whatever you think of SAS yeah. and, and that kind of thing. It's very much like, it's it's almost a promotional film for the SAS around that time yeah. to kind of boost it up. It's kind of, it's more enjoyable than I thought it would be. But again, it's a bit more... Yeah, on the nose in terms of SES support and that kind of you know ideology than I thought it would be as well. Really. But what I will say as well is that um, they do a lot to sort of sympathise some of the terrorist characters. You know, yeah. um, there is a relationship between Lewis Collins and the main terrorist character. It feels to some degree actually almost apolitical. Like it's not. It is just saying, look, this is how it is. This is what happens. Mm. Um, deal with it. So. I just want to know when we go into this enthusiastically, I don't want people to get the wrong idea and think we're, you know, we're kind of chest beating uh, murder hounds who love, you know, uh, I'm, I'm a, I'm a terrible pacifist and a complete and utter coward in real life. But watching this movie, seeing it's got kind of Lewis Collins as a kind of um, awesome kind of action badass and this kind of period of history of my childhood that is very dear to me. In, in all its simplicity when I saw it. So with that in mind, and if you can get into that groove, this film's fucking brilliant. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, I just absolutely. had a joy. And it shares a lot with Better Tomorrow, not just because there's a cool shoot out at the end in a White House, but it, again, it's a mm. bit of a slow build. Like I say, it's not really an action movie. There isn't that many action sequences in it throughout. Mm. Oh. Yeah, at no point was I bored. Like, I, I, I think mm. every time I watch this film, I forget how much I just love every bit of it. The aesthetic... The soundtrack's amazing. Um, it's Roy Budd, and it's got it, it's just that really lovely transition period where it's still a bit seventies, and it's got a bit of percussion and a bit of funk in mm. there. But it's just coming in the eighties, so some synth sounds come in as well, and it's just really kind of little sweet spot there. Mm. And the theme is brilliant. I, I, after watching this, I, I got the theme on my phone. I've been I, I, I walked around the Sainsbury's earlier and just listened to that. Um, so <laughs> we'll go through the plot, and we'll just pull out the key points um we're going to spoil the whole thing so if you want to go in cold and enjoy it for the first time uh tough yeah tough up shit. yours um, tough, tough tip so basically the main plot is that um there's a, a kind of anti-nuclear sentiment going on in 80s britain um and there's lots of people calling for disarmament and those people tend to be socialist communist party yeah. in the uk you know political but there's also some religious figures in there as well but within that, uh, a, a group of, of radicals have kind of seated themselves and are masquerading just as kind of like leaflet printers and what have you in organised protests. But actually, they're organising something serious. And the British government mm. get wind of it. And the British government, is, you know, is like chief of police played by Edward Woodward. So we've got some big names already. Yeah. They think, well, have we got a plan? And uh, there's a kind of military guy from the SS is like, yeah, we've got an idea. And then we smash cut to uh, Lewis Collins as Captain Peter Skellen, 
who's, who's mm-hmm. running training drills for the SAS. And they basically, they're going to run a training drill for an American and a German visitor. And that involves basically the American and German military visitors. Uh, basically, they're there to learn some techniques from the SAS. They're going to hike up a mountain that Skellen and his group are going to give them an hour's head start and see if they can catch them. So they get up there. Skellen's already at the top. And they're like, oh, you beat us. I, I thought we'd have you. And he goes, right. And he's, he orders his men to basically beat the shit out of them, black bag them, tie a rope around their neck and then a run around their feet. And he just literally starts torturing them and beating them up and, and what have you and being a real dick to them. And you think, this is an odd way to introduce your hero. But obviously, yeah. they've staged that. Well, not staged it. I mean, I think the, the, the emphasis is that these two poor bastards have generally been beaten the shit out of. So he could be court-martialed and resign his position and then be a free agent so that he can then be placed in cover in the terrorist organisation. Um, now, just one other thing as well. Did you watch this on DVD? Have you got this on DVD? I have, but I actually watched it on YouTube. Because Did, I couldn't find my DVD yeah. copy, I was believe there, it's in the, uh, the, the the loft area. Because uh, there's so there's, a, there's, a, there's, there's a there's a nice HD version of it on YouTube. But when I started watching it, it was heavily cut. So when they're up the mountain, the version I found, he doesn't punch or kick anyone. Um, he literally just shouting at them. And I don't know whether that's the version you saw. Yeah, it, it literally cut. It gets to the mountain. It has this cut where they're basically bagged up. It's like just jump cut completely, like, and here they are. Yeah. It's like, yeah, so the, it is very heavily edited. Yeah. And so just a word of warning, guys. If you, yeah, if you do go look for it on YouTube, you will see a cut version. In the ver- I got it on a DVD. That's, it's that. It's got action movies. It's got that. Grand Theft Auto, which is a Ron Howard, Roger Corman movie from the 70s. Um, Year of the Gun with Andrew McCarthy and Sharon Stone. And the lawnmower man as a as a four set. I don't know what who put them. That's, the, that's exactly what I got. Yeah, I got it for like ninety p. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Charity job. But that that's fully uncut. So in the uncut version, he's up. He's, he's literally punching and kicking them and and swearing at them and all that. So anyway, he gets he gets discharged. We then cut to him walking through snowy London streets, and this film looks great. There's lots of production value. In a proper James Bond outfit, as as Dick said earlier, kind of like done up kind of raincoat, roll neck. And basically, in this kind of socialist kind of party, there are these two people, one played by Judy Davis, who's the main kind of villain, Frankie. Um, and she's brilliant. I mean, she's the main terrorist. And there's uh, they've got a small group of people who are obviously militarized. And they are being trained by the one and only Ingrid Pitt who uh, is a bit of a badass herself because she escaped kind of um, Nazi Germany. I think as a kid she had to like hike through Europe or something or, or whatever to escape yeah. uh, that. Um, and she's really good in this. She looks great and she's, you know, she's introduced teaching people how to fire submachine guns. Um, so they're obviously pre- prepping for something serious. And really, the bulk of the movie is Lewis Collins um, essentially very... F- say forcefully, that sounds wrong, very aggressively pursuing uh, Judy Davis's Frankie uh, romantically. I mean, it's proper James Bond-like. He just plonks himself down in a chair and starts chatting her up until he goes to bed with her. Talk about how he meets her, because this was brilliant. Yeah. I mean, it, it, he, there's essentially a, um, a socialist club mm. where they, they all kind of meet, and it, it portrays 
kind of socialists and, and kind of lefties, if you like, as, as almost avant-garde kind of, they have, they basically we're in, we, we cut, smash cut to this um, kind of live dance show where everyone's dressed in kind of American style outfits. And it's, it's almost kind of like a very kind of, um, you know, uh, hatred of America kind of dance yeah. show and kind of very strange perform, performing art, performance arts. And all these people in there, there's people kind of, you know, with kind of, you know, punk style haircuts, Che Guevara coats and sunglasses. And then in the middle of the club is Lewis Collins, who is dressed in a navy blazer. He looks like Alan Partridge. He's dressed in a navy blazer, <laughs> the Roman. He's kind of got that, yeah. that like Kendall wiry, fluffy hair that's kind of bouffanted up. A, kind of a tan as well. He looks tanned. Yeah. He looks so odd. He literally looked around the club and went, oh, there's a spy over yeah. there. Look at him. He might as well have a newspaper with holes in it. It was so like... Yeah. And, but this is the thing. And this is the other thing I love about this film is that um, it knows that. And it... it so every t- I find myself, every time I'm thinking, oh, right, this is bullshit, then a character will go, what's this bullshit? They, they call it out on all the time. Um, so, for example, like... So he gets fired from the SAS and then he turns up at his home and this is another odd thing because obviously we've introduced him as this real tough bastard and then he's got mm. a wife and, and, and a toddler and we see him at home and he's a really attentive father and mm. he's got a really normal home um, yes. and he basically breaks his wife he's got to go on a mission and it's like, oh, this is interesting. Like I've never seen a, an action star who's, you actually see like a proper, nice, comfortable home life. Mm. Although... I did get a red flag. I didn't like the way he asked her to, for the bread at the table. There was something funny about that. He just, uh, he was like really nice. And he, that he sounded, came across a bit of a dick. But anyway, then we cut to him in a bar. And the first thing he does is bang the, the terrorist thing. You think, oh, right. So he is, well, they are going full mm. James Bond um, with that. And he, so, doesn't, he doesn't really flirt with her either. It's almost like I'm here to mm. pull you. I'm mm. not going to flirt with you. I just want to take you home. And it's yeah. kind of very much kind of... Uh, and I will say, people. as much as I like Lewis Collins, as much as he's doing the Bond thing here to a degree, it's actually Judy Davis that actually sells that. She seems... She's she's a really uh, you know good actress in this, and she really sells the idea that she might be attracted to him. And it does feel like... She does a very good job making it feel like she hasn't been hoodwinked, that she's actually chosen that, even though yeah. script-wise... It's very much, no, no, Bond. He's a cool man, so he'll, of course she's going to sleep with him. But everyone is literally like, what the fuck are you doing with this guy? And why are you... Like, everyone's immediately got their backs up. And he doesn't lie, though. I mean, he literally... His cover story is exactly, I was in the SAS, I got booted out. Oh, I've got a wife and a kid. The only lie he really tells her is that she's... Um, that they're not together anymore. Um, and so you think... Like, this is the leader of a terrorist organisation, days away from the most super secretive thing they're ever going to do. And she's banging an SAS, XSS captain. And that's a, and then next scene, that's exactly what all her friends are saying. Like, are you mad? Yeah. Um, and she's like, well, let's just check it out. And they do. And the cover story, obviously, they, they set up at the start sticks. Well, and it, so it literally it does... Everyone's flying by the seat of their pants. Well, you talk about her, her acting. What I really liked about this is that Actually, there's a scene later on where there's people in the the party that don't trust him and follow him. Mm. And he doesn't really help himself because he acts really suspiciously when they follow him. He just runs off. Um, 
But then later on, he, he meets his wife in the park and they get photos of him and the uh, terrorist leader gets wind of it. Mm. And then she really just fucks him off that mm. actually she just dismisses him. And then they go on the last mission and she's really cold with him and he gets completely pushed to the back of the bus. Mm. And it's really nice because like you say, she plays it really well that actually she, she's in control of this whole thing and actually she pushes yeah. him away a little bit. And, and he that, just gets kind of like, yeah, and I really like. Yeah, it becomes a genuinely kind of interesting game of cat and mouse, not in the broad strokes that you'd normally expect. In the sense that she's now too far in, so she's got yeah. to keep him on board. And she's in her head, she's like, well, he knows the SAS stuff, so it's going to be useful. Mm. But then Ingrid Pitt, another guy, go to his house and basically hold his wife and kid hostage as backup. So Lewis Collins is basically there to feed them misinformation in the final siege to kind of set them up for the final attack. Yeah. But she's, she, and so they're, they're kind of not still unsure about each other, but they, I've, they do develop a genuine affection for each other as they go along. So that's really cool. So the main action sequence is to, to fully cement his cover. His, and I love this guy. So the SAS kind of leader guy, every time they ring him, is in the middle of some kind of drill. <laughs> my favourite bit of the whole film. It was amazing. <laughs> Every time they call him for an update, there's they're running a drill, and basically they've got this like model town, and their their training drills seem to involve exploding cars. Like every time he's on the phone, and in the back, cars are blowing up, and men are doing forward rolls and shooting. Um, it's it's amazing. And so he then goes, well, you know what? Um, he he speaks to the German and the American guy that the Lewis Collins kind of beat up at the start and goes, we found out where he lives, here you go. And they give him the address so they can go and kick the shit out of him, for real. And so they turn up at his house and they do literally beat the shit out of him. Like, it's not even like a bond where he fights them off. They just, they tie a rope around his neck, drag him around his neck and just kick the shit and end with it punching him in the balls. And it's brutal. I mean, he's going through glass tables and through things. And I think, you know, there's a couple of points in the film where you can definitely tell there's a stunt double, but there's lots of bits in that shot, where you, in that sequence, where you think, that Lewis, Lewis Collins seems to be being dragged around by his neck and thrown through things. It's, it's, it's cool. Um, yeah. Um, so it's, it's got, and like I said, the, the score's driving it, and it's a fun kind of pacey spy film. Um, but then that takes us up to the, um, the finale, basically. So really, there's two stages of the finale. There's rescuing Skellen's wife and kid. Um, which, which is brilliant. Even and, that alone is brilliant. Yeah, and it's really tense. So basically you've got uh, a police officer, the wife and the baby held hostage by Ingrid Pitt and the bad guy in their flat. And next door you've got the kind of SAS response team uh, there and they are basically drilled a camera through and they're observing and they're going to blow for the wall and they've got to wait for the, the, the mother and baby to be out of the way. Um, and, uh, you know, as much as the wife, I, I fully expect, I mean, I'd seen this before, but I couldn't remember that much. And I fully expected the wife once with that intro scene to be never seen again, but not only is she back, she gets to have a fight with Ingrid Pitt, you know, have a proper roll around the floor, kind of punch up. Yeah, um, which is a really desperate fight. You actually, yeah. it plays really well because this is basically Ingrid Pitt is threatening to shoot her, her baby. Yeah. And he plays it, uh, the, the wire camera, the action is called, the, 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 she plays it so well yeah. because she's a desperate mother wanting to kind of protect her kid. So she flings herself on top and they have a, actually quite a brutal fight, which is, yeah. again, 
it builds up tension because the SAS, you're like, are they going to make it in time? And it plays off really, really well, actually. I really like that. Then, the, the main thing is that the terrorists with Lewis Collins have dressed themselves up as these musicians. And as the, the American Secretary of State, played by Richard Widmark, has, has got kind of various officials and people and generals. One of them is played by a guy called Robert Weber, yep. who I think was in Return the Pink Panther in Bring Me the Head of Alfred. If you don't know the name, you'll know the face. He's been in loads. Absolutely. So lots of high-ranking people in this kind of stately home. And they've got them at gunpoint around the dinner table. And Lewis Collins, at the, that point, is there to um, masquerade as a terrorist and basically inform Judy Davis, uh, as Frankie, um, what is going on and what's likely to happen. So he's giving them her some true information about they'll make a phone call, they'll do this, they won't move yet, um, to try and lure her to a point. But he's prearranged, I think, by... He gets to the point where he goes to the toilet and... Uh, he managed to Morse code, doesn't he? He Morse yeah, code the, the kind of Edward Woodward's character... Um, and the kind of leader of the SES, the kind of angry Welsh actor, kind of gets wind of it, doesn't he? And yeah. they, they kind of yeah. clock on to what's going on, which is, and it sets up. And he basically of... says, he basically says, attack at this point. So he's got, a, he's got a ticking clock now, and he's trying to manipulate things. So I think eventually there's some negotiation. The, the, like the cooks and the servants all get out. Yeah. The wives of the officials are being held elsewhere. Mm. And there's a, you know, there's there's an attempt, you know, the Richard Widmark as a Secretary of State has a discussion with with um, Frankie about her cause and about world peace, and there's an attempt to have a debate there. Yeah. And what I like about this as well is that um, the terrorists here are out of their depth. Yeah. You know, they're not ev- not like moustache twirling evildoers. They are. There's, a, you know, again, Judy Davis really sells the fact that actually we're maybe we're, we're, we are just running on emotion here rather than logic to a degree. Because um, I think the and terrorist, you kind of see it. Yeah, the terrorist playoff is the, the, the idea that their demands is for all these kind of hierarchy officials is that they're, they're all going to die. So it's Secretary of State, the, the um, American Secretary of State, uh, high-ranking American generals, uh, the British kind of foreign minister so very very powerful people and if if their demands are not met they'll all die but their demands is to uh, set off a nuclear bomb in the in the base in Scotland where the nuclear nukes are held the british nukes are held yeah. so as a kind of statement of this is what nuclear war is like which is really a, a quite a nice message actually because like you say the terrorists feel like they've got an ideology and actually it gets it gets questioned each time but actually, their yeah. reason for carry it out, they stick to it. And actually, it kind of makes a weird sort of sense. And it's really, I love that little yeah. kind of battle between, you know, when they have that ideological discussion around the table. Actually, it's not it's it's not cheesy guff. Actually, it's it, it, it makes sense, yeah. either both messages. And what I quite liked about yeah. this, that essentially the SAS... And you can see where it's, it, the stakes get raised by this point because Edward Woods is on the phone, who's the kind of high-ranking policeman, but he feels like he's out of his depth because actually, because they've got the Secretary of State for the States and they've got the British Foreign Minister, actually, it's the Prime mm. Minister and the President who have got to make the decisions. So even Edward Woodward's out of his depth. He's not in control yeah. of the whole thing. See, the stakes get raised and raised and raised. But yeah, what yeah. I really liked about it is, and I think possibly why that Reagan liked this film, I, I don't know, but if that's true, but essentially the SAS save America, mm. save the Americans, which is 
is uh, certainly in the eighties. Yeah. It's a very rare thing for the Americans to come across as the one who's gets who, who yeah, gets yeah. saved. So again, I quite like that. That actually the Americans have quite, they've got strong characters now, people like Richard Woodmark and and whatnot. But actually, the SS come in and save them, and I think that's a, a really nice payoff. And like you said before, what's also nice about this kind yeah. of siege um, siege scenario is they do what they did with the Iranian embassy, where they where they play out on TV. So they get um, Anna Ford, who was a kind of very famous newsreader back in the 80s. I always remember mm. her on the news. I always remember when shit went down, she was always the one that was saying, breaking news from wherever. She was always the one there. And she yeah. she plays this now, doesn't she? They get her involved, and it's all set up like an ITN breaking news bulletin, which I really liked all that. I thought it was really a really nice touch. Really nice touch. Yeah. When they sort of say they're going to go in, you know, there's a conversation where they sort of say to the, the SAS guy, the colonel, um, who now doesn't have any exploding cars around him because he isn't there for real. If you go in and kill terrorists, you're damned. If you don't and hostages die, you're damned. He's like, it's the nature of the beast. I mean, it might be done as a kind of badass line, but it's generally the sense of throughout, it's like, this is just how it is. And so whatever your mileage on the political side, if we're going to talk about politics, I don't think Who Dares Wins is the film that's going to solve this issue of pacifism versus military might or, or, or communism versus whatever. Um, we're here for this this bit. And the theme kicks in and the helicopters arrive and there's SAS guys dangling off them in black outfits with gas masks. And I genuinely, when I watched this, when like because it's been building and because there's that childhood connection, genuinely started to get like skin tinglingly like excited about these guys turning up. Yeah. Like this is like really like, oh, I'm, I'm more into this yeah. than a lot of things. It's 17 minutes, but it's not kind of like a John Woo action sequence. It's very short and sharp. But there's a little bit. I love the guy break. They go through the window and he catches fire. They, they throw a stun grenade yeah. through and he goes in and gets the fiery curtains caught on him. Mm. And then another guy bursts in and, and shoots the terrorist about to shoot him. There's some great POV shots through the gas mask. Yes. There's that brilliant shot where two of them are on the ground floor and the camera pans up to a terrorist in the mezzanine. And then a, uh, an SS guy just drops down the rope and shoots him as he drops down. And the camera pans down, they run off all in one take. And while the SAS are doing the kind of tactical stuff of stun grenading and firing, Lewis Collins gets to do the action man stuff, some rolling around, some shooting people, and some nicely choreographed, if not entirely realistic, gunplay. And again, it'd be interesting to, at some point, probably we haven't got time now, to compare the version on the DVD to the version that you saw and how squibby your version is. Lewis Collins really sells the kind of iconic lead here. There's a bit where he, he shoots a guy through a glass window and just casually reloads, which he plays really well. And then when he meets up with the other SAS guys, there's just a shot of them running down the corridor with their submachine guns with the theme blurring. And it's, like, this is the, it's like watching Avengers Endgame. And like, he, this yeah. is fucking the best thing and ever. And he's, he's running <laughs> down the corridor with it just, little, it just, his snub-nosed Uzi. It just looks great. Yeah, and he's kind of got his blokes behind. They're all in black. He's got his yeah. white waiter suit. Um, he's got a snub-nosed Uzi pointed downwards, running full pelt on the corridor. Yeah. And you're like, yes, here we are now. This is this is paid yeah. off it, now. It paid just off. looks just looks really iconic. Yeah. yeah. And then that basically leads to his final confrontation with Judy. Sorry, Judy Davis, uh, Frankie. And they kind of turn and they're pointing their guns at each other and neither of them fire because they're both like, we actually have this thing now. And then it's one of the other SS guys just steps in front 
and fucking blows her away in the most brutal way. I mean, she, she's on the, the stunt woman's on a wire, so he fires, and she literally flies through a door into yeah. a wall. And you think, fuck, that was yeah. nasty. And then I will say, when he comes out at the end, once the siege is over, it all gets a, a little bit too... The, the amount of levity, he's like shaking hands with people, and like the two, the, the Secretary of State and his mate are just like, oh, you shoot out to throw apart. And it's like, the guy, the third guy in your little trio was shot by a terrorist like 10 minutes ago. You, you seem to be joking about too much. And then he meets the, the German and the um, American guy, and he's like good friends with them. And I think, I like that moment, the fact that that comes full circle. But it's also weird that he, he has a reunion with them but not his wife. Yeah. Like, that's a weird, weird We don't choice. see that at all, um, do we? We don't, we don't ever get that. No. But then the end, which is an interesting way to end, is I like Paul Freeman. End. Yeah, Paul Freeman. A.K. Belloc from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, that's the other thing. There's this other character throughout the film who's this kind of rich playboy billionaire kind of person who's, who's come to London to di- distribute money to a bunch of um, socialist and communist groups. And he's essentially funding... Yeah, this thing and it ends with Paul Freeman who seems to be and this is the first time we ever see Paul Freeman uh, a political guy uh, of some description and he goes and meets this guy and they walk off hand in hand basically they literally got their arms together going well this this is this is um, you know raised awareness of what we're what we're trying to do there'll be many more like this to come and it freeze frames with a bunch of statistics about this many embassies across the world over the last few uh, over this year alone done and it's weird because it's very much like Again, it's just like, and this is how it is. Like, um, and it's weird to end on that moment, which is should be a downer, but just feels like leaving it in the hands of the people that have been the villains. So again, mm. you know, we're going to go around in circles about talking about the kind of morality of all this and the ideology. You know, it is a tough macho men shooting lefty uh, extremist kind of thing movie. I'm not, you know, it's not can't pretend it's nothing else i don't want everyone to think we're making it more than it is or this 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 weirdly progressive or subversive film but it it does make an effort to kind of engage with the gray area more than you would expect whether that's successful or not and i do appreciate about that watching it back because you know a lot of these films that we love when you go back and watch them sometimes you're just wincing through some of the ideas or some of the dialogue and there are moments in here especially you know uh with skellen's uh very Bond-like uh, approach to women and to violence and stuff. But that aside, you know, if you can switch that bit off and just treat this as, you know, the kind of movie or the kind of sequences you imagined when you were playing with action men when you were a kid, this film is great. And if if you can just enjoy it on that, that level as a spy action thriller, very much of its time, the payoff is just fantastic. Like I said, it genuinely felt like a... Uh, a kid again watching the end and thinking great oh you know i want to go out and play my action man in the garden and suddenly realizing i'm i'm in my 40s and i probably shouldn't do that but you, you do anyway so you know it's it, yeah. live and let live love it well i did it i did it anyway yeah i said i probably shouldn't do it but then i went out and played with my action men um i say action men they were barbies <laughs> basically um, barbies you know basically lewis collison's head and the various barbie barbie bodies Yes, yeah. Um, you, some of you may think that sounds a bit kinky and sexual, and you'd be right. Um, it 100% was. I feel no shame about it, nor should I. Um, so, that's Who Dares Wins, aka the final option. If you're of a particular era as a kid and you, you kind of had the same 
presentation of military excitement as we did. Um, and you haven't seen this, you haven't seen this in a long while, and you can kind of um, disengage from any political kind of or, or glorification of certain things one way or another, whether you're 100% pro-military or 100% against the military or somewhere in between, there is a lot to love here. And I would also say if, if you know, you like me kind of like movies on an aesthetic level, and by that I mean you like very particular kind of sound effects from an era or very particular kind of things um, rather than traditional story and narrative and quality, as a lot of people are. Um, if you like this, I would go and check out Commando Leopard and Codename Wild Geese at least because, again, they're fun, you know, army men on a mission kind of action man movies um, with where things explode and stuntmen fall over in forests and, and what have you, and men wear red berets um, and do all sorts. It's never not particularly convincing, or, or dramatically competent, but the action's good um, and things blow up. Um, and sometimes that's all you want. Exactly. And I think if you want to, if you, if, you, if you decide to do it like this, if you squint and imagine a different if a different time and a different world, this is how a late 70s, early 80s Bond film could have gone. So instead of Roger Moore, yeah. instead of Roger Moore in a corset, sliding down a banister, you know, kind of firing <laughs> a machine gun... This could have been a Bond film. This could have been, yeah. this is how British Bond was in the 80s. That's the, probably the closest you get to it. Yeah. With flared nostrils. Absolutely. With Absolutely. big nostrils. I can tell you with great pleasure that for Better Tomorrow 2 last week, force-fed rice, joyful eating, and exploding fish are all now added to the keywords for that. Um, Huzzah. So, so, who dares wins? Uh, has 96 plot keywords, murderess, commando unit, commando mission, Morse code, military, mercenary, Cold War, suspense, A. so lot, terrorist, SAS, lots of stuff you'd expect, embassy, ambassador, disguise, punch in the face, uh, shot in the head, Big Ben, London. So yeah, lots, lots of stuff there um, that you'd expect. So what are we going to add? I think me and you, I think our favourite part of the film is every time we cut to the, the SAS commander and he's on the phone and yeah. literally there's a building blowing up in the background and just kind of army men shooting the shit out of it. I think we have like explosive phone call or exp yeah. something like that. Okay, explosive phone call. Explosive telephone. I... Um... Roll Nick. <laughs> I'm putting him. And, oh, uh, interpretive dance. Yes. It is important to, to mention that this is the only film I've ever seen in which the villain does interpretive dance. I don't think I've ever seen another action film where the villain is, is doing that. So, um, yeah, I think that's that's important. I will also say as well, just before we go, and I meant to mention this, um, we've talked about Lewis Collins looking great. We looked about the SAS. Equally iconic, not just because of her performance, but Judy Davis uh, brandishing a machine gun while wearing a ball gown. Yes. Uh, I, she pulls that off amazingly. She looks great. I, I, and she does get changed into more kind of 
more kind of tactical kind of wear later on. But part of me wishes she'd stayed in that because she looked awesome. Yeah. Um, so not only did you get to do interpretive dance and the kind of David Bowie, that's a great line when Lewis Collins says, you you were a magnificent rocket. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just, that then, made me laugh. And then his nostrils really flared. Like his nostrils, yeah. he, like he was really smug with himself for that line. So his nostrils yeah. went full flared. Okay, so with that in mind, um, we're going to move on to pitching a film. Now, as I said, we don't like to pre-think these things too much. Clearly, we're going to make a film for Lewis Collins. Clearly, that means he's got to be British. So again, we're going to be throwing lots of names that a lot of you out there probably won't know if you, unless you've grown up in kind of 70s and 80s England. But what we'll say is that since I've talked a lot about Judy Dax, why don't we re-team them and have them go on a mission together? Okay. So... How about this? So I'm going to pitch this as an idea before we go to the title generator. Okay. Since we're going to be going into British sitcoms for a lot of these actors, why don't we make a kind of early version of True Lies? Yes. So actually make it like a... not We're not going to pitch a sitcom, but actually start with a kind of sitcom-esque setup okay. with Lewis Collins and Judy Davis, who then go on to be spies together. Okay. Brilliant. Yeah, I like that. Okay. So let's head head to um, the generator. Let's uh, fire her up. Okay. Um, Lusty Armageddon 2, American Beast. Done and Uh, done. Close it down. (laughs) Close it down now. Say that. What about Rubbish Speedboat 2? (laughs) Las Vegas Shackles. (laughs) Um, can we have uh, can we have Lusty Armageddon Las Vegas Shackles? I think that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Keep that. Let's put a pin in that because uh, exotic stunt stuntmen, uh, awkward lady, age age of buggers, uh, <laughs> age of buggers two throbbing barrels, <laughs> age of crying revenge. Boiling Gentleman. Uh, oh, she's doing well this week, isn't she? Yeah. Raging Revenge 2, Violent Choice. Um, hard Mavericks. Ba- badge of Meat. Um, See, I think we need to have the word Commando in there somewhere. So we change something out yeah. for Commando. Lusty Commando? <laughs> okay. Okay, how about this? I'm going to pitch this on to you. Commando Revenge... Colon, codename Lust. Yes. Can it be Lusty Buggers in Japan? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Lusty Buggers in Japan. So, thank you, Action Title Generator. You gave us lots, and we tried to use as many as we can in some kind of weird Frankenstein title that I think is fitting because these kind of films, once they go around Europe and they get changed around for the markets, you know, got to have the word commando, got to have this. So it is. And I'm going to forget this. So... It is Commando Revenge. Yeah. Right? As in Commando's getting revenge. Yeah. Codename Lust. Codename Lust. Yeah. So their mission... No, they're... The two of them... Mm. Their codename as a unit is Lust. Right. Basically, we start... So what's... what? Ignoring them. 
Okay, they're not in it yet. We don't see them till till a little bit. So what's the 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 evil plot? What's the spy plot that's happening that will call that the require the British government to call on Codename Lust to come in? So, so who's Codename who's Lust? What, who's threatening who? Codename Lust are in the SAS. Let's let let's say that they're SAS members. And yeah. I think during the film that they have to like um Who Dares Wins. They have yep. to call upon the SES to help them. So we get oh, yeah. we kind of have an ensemble piece during it where we kind of get introduced later on to other SES people. Because I think we need to, again, I think it's befitting we make this a love letter to the SES, like Who Dares Wins and, and kind of the Lewis College films, Wild Geese, etc. We kind yeah. of play with that angle of it. Yeah. So I think... At least to those kind of idealised versions we had as kids of these yes. cool, black-suited, ba- uh, badasses. Yeah. You know, yeah, definitely. Um, so um, I so th- think with the plot, I think it should be something where the stakes get raised very, very quickly. So I think it should be a rogue kind of ideological, political p- movement get hold of some sort of access to a nuclear weapon. Or a oh, yeah. dirty yeah. bomb, or um, a a prototype tank that is like yes. fires lasers. A nuclear tank, a tank that fires nuclear yes. shells. Yes, doesn't make any scientific or logical sense. Okay, so how about this? A <clears throat> a rogue Russian agent. Yeah. Played by Huel Bennett. <laughs> It, yes. <laughs> um, goes rogue yeah. and steals this prototype nuclear tank from a Russian airbase. Yes. Which sets up an international incident because obviously the Russians are like, it's not one of us, but the Americans are like, no, no, you're clearly building nuclear tanks. This is one of your guys. And the British are in the middle, like saying, well, look, if we don't call our heels, guys, mm. it's nuclear war for everyone. Yeah. Give us one week. To put some of our best people on the job, yes, to find this guy in the tank to avert. Well, because actually, the damage that Hugh Bennett's going to do with his nuclear tank, he's going to knock down a couple of buildings. But if the Americans and the Russians go at it, yes, it's the end of everything. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so we then cut to one of those leather ba- leather walled government offices. You know, everything's there's leather bound books and a leather bound door, like in the Bond films. Yeah. And there's a guy with a big red phone. Um, made of leather. Uh, That's made out of leather. Yeah, well. absolutely. Um, and he's probably pouring, Michael Goff. He's pouring like a that. scotch. He's pouring a big scotch in one of those crystal glasses. And he's yeah, yes, he's one he, of those. Um, he's really old. He's got big eyebrows. You know those kind of big furry, fluffy, you know, yeah. eyebrows. Can he have a monocle? Big. Um, well, I was going to say those glasses with really super thick black yes rims on them. Yes. All right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he's the kind of responsible civil servant who has spirits at like eleven thirty during the day, like constantly. Can he be so played he up the phone. by Arthur Lowe and Captain Mannering from mm. Dad's Army? Hundred percent, hundred percent. So he calls up, and he gets through to our our SAS guy, mm. who's going to be um, again constantly on a phone with something amazing happening behind him so there's a burning building and people running around on fire as they ring him. yeah um can it get more ridiculous each time they phone um, him 
Like every time yeah. I find him, well, let's just let's just start off with a with a with a shootout exercise yeah, going yeah. on for now. We'll build up to burning buildings, yeah. um, and it always ends with him putting down the phone and shouting <laughs> at them. And they've done it wrong, yeah. um, and they're like, "Who have you got that can do this?" And he goes, "Well, I know who the best people are. Why not have two for the price of one? Contact code name Lust, right?" And it goes to his secretary, and he goes, "I want you to he shouts at the people." And then we have this thing where like someone's typing out a letter and they're going to contact Codename Lust. And basically the backstory to these guys is they were two top elite agents. Yeah. And they were originally hired to spy on each other. But during that, they uncovered a plot. They both fought it off. Um, They had the most tumultuous affair. Mm. And now they only work together. Codename Lust. But then we cut to the two of them living a really unexciting domestic life. And this is where we go full sitcom. So we have like almost the, the title sequence. This is all pre-titles. Mm. The title sequence is exactly the same as the Terry and June title <laughs> sequence. Again, for those people who don't know, Terry and June is a, is a uh, I believe, late 70s, probably into the early 80s, British.com with Terry mm. Scott and June Whitfield um, with an incredibly catchy uh, earworm of a theme tune. Mm. And basically the opening credits is them walking around various things and keep missing each other. Like, and they're like getting frustrated looking for each other, but one of them's behind with a bunch of shopping bags or the other one's looking at a gold shop or whatever. So I like the idea of them living, not domestic bliss, but kind of British sitcom. They're annoyed with each other. So that by the time we meet them, they are a bickering married couple, not this super hot spy couple. Yeah. Um, so we've got Lewis Collins, um, and, uh, Judy Davis. So, um, what are their names going to be? What, what's their, their, their joined names? What's their marital name? So I think it should be... I think he needs a really exciting first name and a really British sitcom yeah. second name. So I think he should be Archer. His first name is Archer. And his yeah. second name is... Something like Cress. Yes. Uh, yes. Archer Cress. <laughs> so he's basically Commander Cress. Yeah. Um, and she's got to be called Felicity. Yeah. Felicity All Cress. Long. All day yeah. long. Felicity Archer Cress. Archer and Felicity Cress. And so when we join them, they're having a, um, a kind of hilarious spat over he's trying to paint the front of the house I th- he paints I think, it one colour I think they should be getting ready for a, a, a summer barbecue they've invited all the neighbours round for a barbecue yes he's in the yeah. back garden trying to put a barbecue together getting really annoyed he's got a big pipe mm. um, he's got a pair of small trunks yeah. like you know those kind of 70s 80s trunks that are really small yeah. and um, he's got like a comedy apron on that he's going to cook in the barbecue, like, you know, the kind of um, silly aprons. Um, yeah. It could be and like... She's, she's doing all the... She's doing all the socialising. Yeah. She's got that income. She's inviting people to make them drinks. She's yeah. um, Sybil faultying it. Mm. And he's bugging about the, the, the barbecue's falling apart. Yeah. He's already got sausage on there and not cooking pro- properly. Yeah. All the neighbours are proper stiff upper-lipped kind of people who are looking like tutting at him as they're drinking a sherry. Yeah. Um, and he eventually stumbles back into the uh, paddling pool and all the meat goes on him. Yeah. And at that point, uh, he gets a phone call on his secret military phone <laughs> and the two of them are like, fuck this, and they leave. Yeah. And all the neighbours are like, well, I never. <laughs> um, 
And yeah. then that's that. We leave that. So off they go. Now, the reason this is called Commando Revenge, mm. their code name Lust, is because when they go and have their debriefing, and they're bickering throughout the whole debriefing, mm. they're always making comments about each other uh, uh, and what have you. Um, about He's always on about how long it takes her to get ready, and he's it's all about him, how he can never fix stuff. Proper 70 sitcom, mm. uh, you know, fodder. Um, but Hugh Bennett is someone they've met before. Mm. And they did some, he did something bad to them, or they've had a running, a lot of run ins with him. And he's like, no, no, we, this is not, this is personal as well. You know, we need to um, get this guy. We're the right people for the job. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're posing. They, he's, he's in somewhere, what would be exotic for the 70s? Um, I think, are they, are they got, are they got to go there as a couple? Yeah. I think they've got to go to either some French nudist caravan holiday. Oh, yes. <laughs> or Benidorm. <laughs> <laughs> I I like the idea of yeah, I like the idea of going on a, on a on a European holiday and it's all a bit sexy. Yeah. But they're basically so. I like the idea that we we pitch Hugh Bennett as this kind of suave person who's always in a pair of trunks or a towel, womanizing people. Yeah. And then Collins and Judy Davis are going. Their their given cover is they're a married couple, so he's decked out like a proper tourist, mm. like with a big old camera and a Hawaiian shirt and a map. Um, and they're really unsexy and uncool, and they're going around. And so basically, how about the, how about this? We find out that Hugh Bennett. He's staying at a nudist resort. Yeah. And they have to infiltrate. Um, and we do lots of things where, you know, there's rude shaped things in the way of all their genitals and what have you. You know, um, he comes out holding a, because uh, it's France, he comes out of a shop where with a large baguette where his crotch should be. Yeah. And she's got two, you know, um, Belgian buns or whatever. What I um, think we could do as well is we they could basically they stay in this caravan in this French resort. So mm. picture this. So they can't stay obviously next to Hugh Bennett because it'll blow their cover because he knows who they are. So they've got to stay a little bit away from yeah. him. So basically they integrate themselves as this dull suburban English couple. But then in the caravan next to them is another dull English suburban couple who try and kind of say we've got like-minded people. Yeah, make friends. With They're them. a bit embarrassed. Can we make friends? And every yeah. time they've got to go away on this dangerous mission, they've got to somehow convince the couple that they're still boring and, and get away with it. I and love I think this. The couple, he's played by Keith Barron, who was a very red-faced <laughs> yes. English actor in the seventies and eighties. And it also yeah. brings to mind an English sitcom called Duty Free, which is basically where there was two couples and basically they were having affairs with each other. So the, the, the husband was having an affair with the other woman and they were always trying to mm. kind of catch each other out, but it was always like, I'm not having an affair. So it could be a bit like that. So he he's played by Keith Barron, who's a bit of a sleaze. He's a bit embarrassed about being at news yeah. comedy, but he's always trying to crack on to Felicity Cress. And she... He's trying to always crack on to uh, to the Lewis College character, and I think yeah. she could be played by. What about a European actress? Yeah. 
to kind of give it a bit of international flavour. Well, so Ingrid Pitt, let's Ingrid go with Ingrid Pitt. Pitt. Yes. Keith Barron, yeah. Ingrid Pitt. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And uh, and so and what happens is over the course of time, obviously, you know, they're the two of them are used to this kind of seducing and spy stuff. Hmm. Um and they're bickering each other. So they 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 deliberately kind of play up this thing to make each other jealous. Yes. So they go on separate dates or they construct yes. these situations. I love this. Uh, it's not quite uh, in the realm of who dares wins at the moment, but I'll get around to that. Yeah. And of course, every now and again, they have to phone back to our SAS person who's now, um, you know, there's a, there's a helicopter crashed in, crashing into a caravan behind him. Um, <laughs> Cause I like the idea as well. He's, this is what I was thinking is funny is that he's got to respond to where they are. So he's training the SAS in case they have to run a siege where they are. So wherever they go, yeah. so there's now, and he's getting increasingly frustrated. So like um, when they first go to France, and it's a tourist thing. They, they, he's got set up like a, a French market yeah. with SAS people running around. And it's like, no, 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 you don't hold the baguettes that way. Now he's got all his SAS men with gas masks, but naked, because he's got a nudist camp. And there's like a, and there's like a caravan exploded. Yeah. And he's like, for God's sake. So um, basically, Hill Bennett, just so we know, he's basically having his tank shipped to avoid kind of being detected. He's having it shipped to different countries, mm. so not in one long journey. Yeah. So he's had it shipped to France, and he gets shipped to somewhere else on another part of France. Oh, Hill Bennett goes sightseeing up the Eiffel Tower. He's going to meet a contact up the Eiffel Tower. So now our couple have to pose uh, as tourists in the Eiffel Tower. They're going to go up there and uh, try and spy on him while Ingrid Pitt and Keith Barron, and these couple are clearly unhappy. They're always fully fucking yeah, arguing. absolutely. Um, so they cause a massive scene at the top, and he'll bet it's always like looking over, like, what's that noise? And they're trying to like cover things up and what have you. Um, and by trying to like separate them, uh, Lewis Collins actually t- accidentally touches Ingrid Pitt's boob and Judy Davis is like I saw that and he goes I was just trying to and that uh, attracts attention to Kill Bennett and that, this is our first actually there is a chase yeah. around the Eiffel Tower um, I don't know I mean I know we're an action podcast and we tend to focus on the action scenes I don't give a shit maybe they climb down the outside maybe one of them's on top of the lift I don't care um, but what it does require is a phone call to the SS guy <laughs> who's now constructed a cardboard Eiffel Tower really shit and he's got well. all these men dressed as French people climbing up and down the top. Yeah, they've got berets. Yeah, and they've got... one of them's still naked. Yeah. One of them's still naked and he's like, why, well, we moved on. And then, but he's like really pleased that they built this Eiffel Tower and they're like, we've moved on from the Eiffel Tower and he's like, he hangs up, tear it down. <laughs> uh, they're off to somewhere else. So this all builds to uh, Hugh Bennett getting wind of this. Yeah. And so he holds up with his henchmen in – now, wherever this tank's going to be stored, okay? So, I mean, a warehouse isn't the most interesting thing to stage a I've siege. got it. I've got it. Bear um, with me. Bear with me. Can it be at a French but, cafe slash nightclub? And the cafe slash nightclub's called Cafe Moon, right? And it's a, it's a sci-fi-themed bar restaurant. Right. So we've got we could even then have the interpretive yes. dance element in, but then absolutely it, it cuts to the angry SES guy who's basically got the wrong end of the stick 
and he's recreated the moon surface. <laughs> a lot, all the SAS guys have got gas masks, space helmets, space suits, and they've gone anti-gravity, and they're trying to charge the moon. It's like, cafe moon. <laughs> Tear it down, lads. Yeah. Tear it down. <laughs> genius. Genius. Um, so, okay, so that's where... The, okay, so how about that? That's where they go mm. on a night out. Yeah. Because now um, the Cresses are worried about the, the uh, Ingrid Pitt and, and Keith Barron's marriage. So they take them out for a night to kind of clear the air. <laughs> and that's where Hugh Bennett kidnaps them yeah. and drives them off to an aircraft hangar where the tank is yes. and where a bunch of badasses can be. So then they put the call in to the SS guy who's literally now despondent. He's, he's sat on a crate surrounded by various props from his different training commissions. <laughs> um, and he's like, I don't care anymore. Um, and they go, it's on. It's a green, it's a go. This is a location. And he gets really happy. And that's where we go into full SAS mode. And then, so, but at this point, and again, I'm sticking with this, they've come from the nightclub. So Judy Davis is in a ball gown. Yep. She's <clears throat> properly dressed. Uh, and I like the idea that Lewis Collins is in what he thinks is a really smart, cool, fashionable suit. So we're going with the roll neck, yep. black roll neck. I want to go with a mustard suit jacket. Yes, yes. Double-breasted. Yes. Um, and a captain's hat <laughs> and cream flared trousers. <laughs> yes. Um, and then they, they go straight in. Mm. Um, but the SS arrive all kind of... I like the idea we started off by saying this is going to be a love letter to the SAS. <laughs> so um, this is flying, and then we have our siege. It all kicks off. Um, Hugh Bennett gets shot out of the window. So John try and picture this. Like, he's there, and the two of them turn round, and they both fire. So imagine Hugh Bennett stood there, and then imagine a window, mm. like where a window would be, like off the ground. <clears throat> And about three meters back, and he literally flies from the standing position out the window, <laughs> like he's been pulled out the window. Yeah. And we never see him again. Um, but then they get surrounded, or they someone's about to shoot them, and it's actually um, Ingrid Pitt that kills and <clears throat> saves them. And that Keith Barron suddenly gets super attracted to her again. Can can they be arguing they, at this point as well? Can like basically like we cut to it, Ingrid Pitts says to him, he's tr- they're trying, he, Keith Barron realises he can, he can kind of un- get his rope off his hands and he's trying to get it done and he can't do it and she turns around and goes, you're always doing this, you can never, you can just kind of coordinate your hands and he goes, oh, shut up, I've had enough and it, then he breaks free, she takes someone out, he grabs a gun and starts firing, almost like we have a heroic Ingrid Pitt, Keith Barron sequence for like 30 seconds where mm. he's lost his shit and he's firing a yeah. machine gun. So imagine Keith Barron firing a machine gun, Ingrid Pitt completely, yes. like, you know, kind of kicking ass ninja moves. And it's like, oh, yeah. actually, there could be a spin-off They're here. good at this. Yeah. Well, and this is the thing. So their marriage is saved. Yep. The Cressy's marriage is <clears> saved. <throat> mm-hmm. We then cut to the Cressy's and the others, whose name we haven't come up with they're their new neighbours yeah because the other neighbours moved out after the barbecue fiasco yeah. they, they couldn't live next door to that the Cressys come out to the garden and they're doing a barbecue 
and both Ingrid Pitt and Keith Barron are naked in the garden. And so they're up at the fence and the fence is just covering across the chest area. Mm. And uh, there's lots of kind of Dublon tundra and lots of like Lewis Collins offering them a sausage on the end of a fork and yeah. it kind of being really big in the foreground and what have you. Um, and then they get the call to go off. But then we realise the call, uh, code name Lust, now includes them as a four. Yes. They're now a unit. They're now a commando unit. Yeah. And also because I think we should suggest, not show, because this is not a, a 70s kind of sex romp, but suggest that the four of them uh, are clearly swinging. Yes. Um, uh, you know, it's the 70s. It's, it's, it's suburbia. Yeah. Um, everyone was into it. And that's where we freeze frame uh, with Ingrid Pitt and Frank Barrett, uh, Keith Barrett naked behind a fence, mm. Judy Davis with a big tray of something, yeah. of, of drinks, and Lewis Collins in a, an apron that's got women's boobs drawn on it, holding a sausage on a fork. Yeah. And they all laugh, yeah. and then it freeze frames. Yes. And then the whatever it is, the kick-ass theme comes in. Yes, and I think it's, it's like full Hammond organ, full like just kind of bass guitar, really kind of throbby yeah. action track. I think Absolutely. as well that, that I think they should be called something like the other couple should be called something like the buttermilks or something like that. Yes. Um, yeah. Water, the water biscuits. Yes. <laughs> um, so I think as well, think about, oh, we've got this angry person we haven't kind of cast is the angry SAS captain. who's always setting these ridiculous scenarios. Up. Yeah. Who could he be? Oh man. Who plays a good, a good, ang- Oh, who, um, so I was thinking Windsor Davis. Oh, uh, yeah, you, you've you've beaten me. Uh, uh, my, um, <coughs> I was going to suggest Warren Mitchell, Ooh. a.k.a. Alf Garnett, but I think Windsor Davis is 100%. So um, for, for the possible, you know, that, that, that bloke who sat in the States who's listened to us mm. because, you know, God bless him, he's having sleepless nights and he's, he's got to find some shit to listen to mm. and he's listened to us. So, how could you describe the following? Windsor Davis, mm-hmm. Keith Barron, and Huel Bennett. So, um, well, okay, if I was being cruel, mm. imagine three bodies had washed up on, <laughs> <laughs> on the edge of a lake. They'd fallen in about, for, been in the lair for about a week. Yeah. These are all kind of 70s men, so they're all a bit bloated. Yeah. They're all very red. Very red. Uh, very, very I red. I think if you... Now, obviously, we didn't we didn't have HD TV at the time. Imagine if now you looked at that in HD, you'd see that the reason they're red is that all their face are covered in, like, um, burst blood vessels and mm. veins from drink. Yeah. Like, just round the cheeks and round the nose are all just from all the whiskies they've had. Yeah. Um, and then the only real difference is that Windsor Davis is a large, like, general's moustache. Yeah. And he was became very famous for playing like a, a British drill instructor in a in a no doubt, and I, I don't think I've ever seen an episode since it was on, but a no doubt incredibly um, dodgy sitcom about British soldiers in is it Africa or India there in I India, think it's isn't it? India. I think it's, in, I think it's colonial India. Yeah. Uh, about about yeah, about basically pale, flabby British soldiers. Being in a very hot country, yeah. and I am positive 
it's it'll be a horrifying uh, watch in this day and age. Um, so he's always had this kind of air of a kind of very shouty uh, authoritarian figure, mm. but played for laughs. Yeah, not not like you know Ali Ermi in Full Metal Jacket. Imagine him with a big moustache uh, and a laugh track. That's kind of Windsor Davis. And the other two, I mean, he'll he'll Bennett and um, uh, Keith Barron are basically interchangeable. You could swap them, and I don't think anyone would really even notice. No, just two round red men with grey hair. <laughs> yeah, staples of you know nineteen eighties British television. So if you, you googled them um, and some find YouTube clips, you know they were kind of very staples of the British diet of that time. Yeah, and very kind. Again, very dodgy yeah. sitcoms that probably wouldn't hold water these days. And and I think um just to sum this up as well, so just to be clear to everyone, this film, which is about a bickering couple couple that chase Hugh Bennett through a series of tourist attractions, including a nudist colony up and down the Eiffel Tower and involves lots of uh affairs swinging and suggested nudity, is what we would consider a love letter to the SAS named Commando Revenge, <laughs> colon, codename Lust. Yeah. Just so that that's where we are. That's I our think love a lot of people would um, get that off the shelf and be thoroughly disappointed <laughs> with what they saw. Yes. Like, this is not what the title suggested this film was going to be. Not in and any I'm way very pleased. But I do like the idea that when we do have violent moments... Uh, or a shootout, that it, the tonally it's really brutal and is really jarring. Like this film was made for nobody. If you like funny kind of kind of saucy sitcoms, the violence is too um, <clears throat> sadistic. Yeah. And if you like violent action films, you are annoyed that between all of them, there's this fucking about in nudist camps. Yeah. Um, Putting the barbecue together. I like the idea that this movie was a complete failure when it came out. Yeah, um, I'd quite uh, like the idea that when he's putting the barbecue together when we first meet him, it takes fucking ages. Like he's yeah. about the wheels fall off, and he gets a sausage in a woman's drink, and she's horrified, and mm. you know he sets fire to his eyebrow. It just takes ages, and it's just so. And it's, you're just sitting there watching, going, "Fuck it, what what is he doing? Why is yeah. he doing? Why are we watching this for ten minutes?" And he gets mm. more ridiculous, and yeah. It, um, Absolutely, just puts uh, everyone off. And I like the idea, in, in some different European territories, it was re-edited, so in, in kind of um, like Sweden and stuff, um, they cut out a lot of the violence. Mm. So in there, it's called um, Sexy Pair. And it's uh, it's just a slightly saucy romantic comedy, whereas in like Germany and stuff, they've cut out all the couple stuff, and it's this exploitative action movie. But yeah, I like the idea that it's a complete fucking failure, a, a, a bad idea from the start, mm. and did nothing for anyone's careers involved. Justice, justice, justice. All that's left now, as usual, is to kind of think about what lessons we learn from Who Dares Wins um, that could go through a kind of filter into our modern life for those people who want to go out and seek justice. And I think what's interesting about this is that 
arguably both sides, the terrorist side and the SS side, both want justice. So we could learn lessons from either side, remove the political motivation and just think about the logistics and the strategies. What lessons did you learn from this film should you want to go out and seek justice for yourself? I think there's one clear, clear message from it that yeah, whatever side you're on, if you want to either infiltrate the other side or get the other side to come to your way of thinking, seduce them. So that's the clear yep. message by this. So, you know, if if, if it's a, uh Al-Qaeda in a cave, if it's, you know, mm. uh, an angry socialist, if it's, uh, you know, a right-wing skinhead, just, just try that first. See what happens. Yeah, and I think what's important as well is, you know, when you say the word seduce, that doesn't necessarily require you to be any good at seducing people. You just go and sit next to them and say, hello, can I sleep with you? Um, and if they say no, you just go, yeah, but I'm going to sleep with you. And then they go, yeah, and then that's it. That's yeah. basically what we mean by seduction. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's how it works. Either way, you know, um, there's no real need for finesse or, or what have you. Nope. It's, it's, yeah, that's how, it, apparently, according to this, that's how it works. Now, I think... I'm going back to our uh, our equipment storage. We've got our gyrocopters, right? Yes. Haven't we by now? Please tell me by now you've got your gyrocopter. Yeah. We've got uh, disguise kits. You know, I think <clears throat> you're going to need tactical wear. If I look back at that magazine, you need your, your black flak jacket. You need your leather gloves. You need your rope yeah. uh, and your grapple. Frogman outfit. For repelling. Yeah, you need your gas mask. Yeah. But you also need in your cupboard formal wear. Ball gowns, cocktail dresses. Um, Roll neck jumpers, blazers. Yeah, you know, sports jackets. All, all, all sorts. Um, whatever scenario. Sure. When we say formal, what we mean by formal is any evening activity where you've got to go out. So it could be that you've got to infiltrate, you know, you, you could be a female yeah. uh, SAS or secret agent, and you've got to infiltrate a pool hall. Just go in a ball, ball, ball gown. Or you could be a gentleman and you've got to <laughs> infiltrate a female rollerblading derby terrorist group. <laughs> Just go in a full blazer, roll neck jumper, pipe, you'll get in. That's what we mean by formal yeah. wear. It covers all bases. Yeah. You've you've got a you know there's a there's a neo-Nazi skinhead gang putting together a plan in uh, you know derelict parts of London. Turn up in your in your cocktail dress yeah. or your um, you know your admiral's uniform, whatever, yeah. um, it, and then start the seduction process of just asking the person opposite you, whether male or female, to go to bed with you, and it, it, that's how it works. Yeah. Um, Put but only, and I, and I want to make this clear because we're not going saying to everyone now, just go out and start expecting people to sleep with you. This only works if you're seeking justice. Yeah, yeah. There is a, this is <clears throat> science now, this is science. There is a pheromone released when you are on a justice seeking mission. That's why this happens in Bond movies, why it happens in this, that people just fall for other people who are seeking justice because of the, the I think it's an adrenaline based pheromone yes. that isn't there if you're going out on dates or you're just clubbing. No. So do bear that in mind. Do not go out on the pool just assuming you can um, sleep with anyone. That won't work. 
only works if you've got a righteous mission of, of justice or yeah. vengeance that you're on. Absolutely. Because um, otherwise, without that, you'll just look like a complete twat yeah. if you're dressed in an admiral's outfit down the local uh, discotheque. Um, <laughs> but also, I would say as well, uh, I'm, I'm going to give some rare advice here for villains. Um, do not underestimate the power of the performing arts. Yes. Um, you know, uh, you don't have to give rallies. You don't have to give evil speeches. You don't have to shake your fist. Um, you know, dress up like David Bowie and do the splits and yeah. everyone will get, get what you're, what you're on about. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think considering we started talking about this, about kind of, um, the morality of, of military action and how that's changed over time and how the military is perceived and SAS tactics. We probably ended up where we wouldn't have expected at the start of this is one of the very, very joys, uh, joyous parts of, of talking about not only these movies, but the kind of very much the world of seeking justice through action. Sometimes you just got to go with the flow. And if that means you end up uh, as a 45 year old male dressed in a wedding dress at uh, the docks, watching two people fight with knives um, and you're trying to bang one of them. That's what you've got to do. You've got to improvise. You've got to go with it. Exactly. You know? that's, Justice that's what, doesn't solve that, itself. That's what we did. We started off talking commit. about the SAS and, you know, British 80s ideology and then we ended up with Keith Barron in a nudist colony with an erection through a fence. Pretty yeah. much. That's where, that's that's the road we took. Yeah. That's we're right. not the first and we no. won't be the last because we don't do this for ourselves. We do this for you. And I mean that in a singular. You know who you are. I'm talking to you. I've got to go because a little hole just drilled through my wall and there's a little camera poking through. So I think the best thing to do is go over to that wall and get as close to it as I can. Maybe look through the hole to see what's about to happen. I'm sure it's nothing bad. Uh, or, or sexual because it, it could be that. So just be careful. <laughs> it keeps Baron's erection. <laughs> Bye.